Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 67 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Um, Now, this podcast is for anyone, uh, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you want to study the religion of Islam, or if you are thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic, we will uh, talk about the actual Battle of Badr, you know, the first battle in Islamic history. Uh, and, you know, last time we talked about the preparation and, and the, the things that led to, you know, uh, to that battle and the causes and all these things. And we, we also mentioned... Uh, very importantly that uh, Muslims did not want to fight and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually proves that in the Quran uh, they, they did not want to fight nobody wants to fight nobody wants to go to war you know unlike what you know um, Islamophobes you know t- uh, you know uh, claim about Muslims that they always want to fight they want to kill they want to do all these things they could have been more wrong uh, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know even though uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is uh, mentioning that they uh, do not want to fight. They didn't want to fight. The Muslims did not want to fight. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also is saying that I've written upon them that they have to fight for certain, you know, reasons. You know, for certain wisdoms, you know, from them is, you know, get back their rights from the people of, you know, Quraysh, from the people of Mecca. And, and you know, uh, take back whatever they 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 have lost, and you know that they have been uh, uh, humiliated for, and you know, you know, to basically to show the disbelievers that the Muslims are not weak anymore, right? And uh, the biggest reason, actually, for the battle is Allah also mentions it in the Quran when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that He, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, uses people. To destroy other people on this earth because otherwise this earth would have been corrupted. What does that mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses believers to destroy dictators. Like, and we, we mentioned last in the, you know, in the last episode about, you know, the, the example of uh, the second world war, right? If, if, if the allies didn't exist to stop Hitler and the Nazis, what do you think the world will look like now? Do you understand? Like, sometimes war is necessary. To stop evil. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses people to prevent the you know the uh, evil of other people, to prevent you know the dictatorship, the, the, the corruption of other people. And in this case, that's one of these cases. In this case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is using the Muslims to stop uh, uh, the corruption of you know the people of Quraysh uh, from spreading uh, uh, you know across at least the Arab Peninsula. So again, we talked about all these things, and now we're getting into, you know, um, the actual battle. So uh, the Muslims marched to the outskirts of, you know, of Badr. You know, we said that Badr, uh, the name of Badr, you know, it's uh, plains. Uh, it's called the plains of Badr, and they are named after a well that was dug by someone called Badr. We mentioned that in the last episode, and they were about to camp by the plains of Badr, but then a companion by the name of Lubab ibn al-Mundhir came to the Prophet ﷺ and he basically told him uh, that they should move their location so that the wells of Badr, because it's not one well, by the way, Badr had ha- had many wells and, and some wells are still you know existing until today, uh, that they should camp in front of the wells so the, the, the wells of Badr are behind them. Now, this was a very uh, smart tactic because what happens is if there's a battle going on and the basically the wells are in the middle between the two armies, the two armies will be able to go get water and come back. But if the Muslims camp, you know, in front of the wells, so the wells are behind the Muslim army, that means the Muslims are only the ones who have access to almost uh, unlimited supply of water. 
uh, you know, while the the people from Mecca, the army from Mecca, will only depend on their you know canisters and jugs of water. It gives them incredible advantage point to the Muslims. Then the Prophet you know, didn't know, you know, exactly whether they should do that or not. Again, we're talking about here the first battle ever. The, the Muslims are not; they don't know what they're doing, and the Prophet is listening to his companions, but at the same time, he wants some guidance from Allah. Then Jibril, Angel Jibril comes down to the Prophet and he tells him to agree to this opinion because it is the right one. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it shows you that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides and opens doors through people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the idea of, of you know, switching uh, locations into the head of Lubab ibn al-Mundir, the, the companion, and basically he... Uh, Lubab went to the Prophet and told him again Allah doesn't have to help you miraculously you have to understand this is something that uh, some people don't understand like some people when 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 uh, for example for example you might go to a job interview and uh, during the job interview you'll find that the interviewer is extremely nice and he's even helping you or she's even helping you sometimes right um, and they will giving you the answers and you'll be like, you know, and, I, and I've been in interviews like that, right? So this is not just me talking out of nowhere. No, this this happened to me. And what we fail to understand is this could be Allah's help. Most likely, if you make the proper dua and if you do your best, right? This is Allah's help through people. Allah doesn't have to help you through like a miracle or like a, you know, a light bulb or any. No, it's it could be someone comes to help you and it's purely a soldier of Allah. Without them knowing it, Allah puts an idea in their head and Allah makes you, you know, cross path and everything and that person could help you to do something uh, or achieve something significant and it's only help from Allah. And we have to see that. And this is exactly what the, what happened with the Prophet ﷺ. Now, so the Muslims did that, right? And they camped, you know, in front of the walls and all these things. And during nighttime, the companions uh, camped and they were able to see the army. Now the army of Quraysh was was approaching, you know, towards you know uh, towards them during nighttime, and that means that meant that the battle was about to begin, right? And the Prophet spent the whole night praying and making dua to Allah. Now, some might say, didn't Allah Subhanahu wa Taala promised victory? Why would the Prophet you know, uh, why would he have to pray and make dua all night? Well, we mentioned that also, that you have to do the work. You cannot just say, oh, Allah is going to help me. Even though the Prophet was given the promise, you have to humble yourself. Who is giving you the help? Allah. You have to pray and make dua to him. Then it started uh, raining on the side of the Muslims, which was also a miracle. And when it was raining on the side of, you know, where the Muslims were camping, you know, the Muslims were, you know, seeking shelter and all these things. But that was, you know, we know that in Islam, uh, rain is a good sign. You know, it's a good sign of optimism. Um, uh, and it might mean nothing. Don't, don't, not every time it rains, it means something good is about to happen. It's just, you know, it's a good sign when you're making dua to Allah and there's something significant is about to happen. Muslims believe that. Uh, uh, the the rain, uh, you know, falling is uh, a sign from Allah that something good will happen. Now, also, here's the incredible, incredible uh, wisdom, uh, another wisdom behind Allah, you know, commanding the rain to fall, is that the right amount of rain, when it hits the sand of the desert, it becomes solid and steady, and it gives them advantage, Right? So again, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dropped a certain specific amount of rain, not too much, not too little, that sand, because you know, we, we, the, the sand of like the, the desert, if you guys, you know, can imagine it from the movies or if you ever visited, you know, uh, uh, an Arab country or like an actual desert, Sahara desert, right? You'll find that the sand is very soft and smooth. You can like actually sink in it, right? But then when you combine that with a certain amount of water, a specific amount of water, it becomes solid. We know that, right? And it becomes solid. It gives, you know, literally the Muslims a solid ground to fight on. And this is another advantage that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given the Muslims. And again, um, one of Allah's miracles that usually when there, when there is like a danger, 
right? Significant event is about to take place. What happens? We become, and this is a human nature, we become unable to sleep. Something dangerous is about to happen to you. Um, you know, something something very dangerous, life-threatening. Do you think you will be able to sleep the night before? Absolutely not. You know, sometimes uh, when you have like a, 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 like a whatever, a parking violation or any type of violation, a, a, a car got involved in a car accident and you have to show up for court the next morning and, you know, the fine could be significant, you know, uh, and it could, you know, take points from you and all these things. You won't be able to sleep. You know, if we have some significant and could be life-threatening and most likely in this situation, life-threatening event, we won't be able to sleep. And here's what happened. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused all the Muslims in Badr to knock out cold. They're all, by the way, it's reported by all of them. They don't understand how they fell asleep that deep. Like it's been reported by Ali ibn Abi Talib, by many, many companions, they knocked out cold. And this was a miracle by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah wanted them to knock out cold so they can, you know, uh, energize, get energized, right? And and regain their uh, their energy and their, you know, uh, their focus. Because if you're in their place, you're literally sleeping in front of the enemy. And the enemy is, you know, more than three times uh, your uh, quantity. And you never fought in a battle before, ever. Never got involved in any type of war, any type of battle. And you are hating what's happening and you don't want to do it. Yet you knock out cold. This is incredible. Otherwise, you, you won't be able to sleep from anxiety, from worrying that what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I'm about to fight, you know, certain could be family members, tribe members. You know, I don't even know how, how to go through this. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused them to knock out cold. They went to sleep and they didn't feel a thing except for the Prophet the Prophet was awake the whole night making dua and praying. And again, this is befitting to the level of faith of the Prophet Now, when when the dawn time came, the Fajr prayer came, the Prophet you know, started calling upon all the Muslims you know, to wake them up and so they can pray Fajr. And they all did pray Fajr. Then our Prophet you know, started to align all the Muslims in rows, in battalion uh, formation. Now, here's a very interesting part. The whole, like, you know, armies, when you when you watch movies or you see, like, you know, armies, the, the, the correct and the proper way of, our, of an army to be, you know, aligned is to be aligned in rows, which is called the battalion formation. This is the most accurate, most effective alignment for an army. But this tactic was not known to the Arabs. The Arabs used to just attack, you know, very uh, randomly, right? One-on-one battle, you know, and then when you you know when you kill one you move on to you know the other one and so forth so this whole like uh, row formation this whole battalion formation was not known to the arabs but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught it to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the, the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam started you know aligning all the, uh, the the men in rows and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually mentions this in the quran Allah says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Allah loves those who fight for his cause to be standing in rows. Safan in Arabic means rows. Allah loves Yuhibbu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves those who fight for his cause to be standing in rows as a, a you know like a, a wall unbreakable wall bunyanu marsus right then uh, and this is a very interesting um, you know uh, incident that the prophet ﷺ started you know straightening up the and lining up the lines and then he was using a stick to like you know tap people hey, go back to your you know to your line go back to your line and then a companion by the name of suad Suwad was actually standing in front of his line. He was not, you know, in line with his his row. So the Prophet just, you know, poked him a little bit in the stomach and he said, Hey Suwad, go back to your uh your line. Then Suwad told the Prophet, O oh, Prophet of Allah, you know, you cause me pain for no valid reason. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had sent you with the truth and justice to mankind. So I demand justice from you. <laughs> Can you imagine? So the Prophet did not intend or d- disrespect Suwad in any way. He just, you know, poked him a little bit and, you know, in, in the stomach. Hey, Suwad, just go back, go back. Suwad took this very, you know, and he was like, you, Allah sent you with the truth and justice. And what happened to me was unjust, you know, injustice. That what happened to you, you literally caused me pain for no reason. So I demand justice from you. Basically, the, the Suwad is telling the Prophet, I'm going to poke you back. I want to poke you back. Now, if you were in the place of the Prophet, a nation's leader, not just an army leader, an army, he's the army leader, right? And he is literally, if you want to call him the king of the Muslims now, the king of Medina. He is the ruler of the Muslims. He is a nation's leader, an entire nation from different ethnicities, actually. He is the ruler of that nation. And you did something to one of the soldiers that you didn't. he did not mean. He did not mean to harm him. And by the way, that pain, there was nothing. Like literally poking with a stick a little bit. So the Prophet did not mean to harm Suad in any way, shape, or form. Yet, Suad said, I demand justice from you. What do you think the leader would do? At least punish this. Like, how dare you talk to me like that, right? How dare you? You're like talking to me like this in front of, you know, the rest of the soldiers, the rest of the men. We, I know, Suad was not like a friend. Now, we call him a companion because, by the way, the definition of a companion is someone who is a Muslim who lived and like interacted in any way with the Prophet ﷺ personally. He interacted, like anybody who interacted, and this is, goes for males and females, by the way. Anybody who interacted with the Prophet ﷺ personally just said, Assalamu alaikum. Said good morning, good night, whatever. Just once they are called a companion. That's the meaning of the companion. The companions, by the way, were not just the friends of the Prophet. Like Abu Bakr and Omar, yeah, they were companions, but companions go beyond that. It's more broader. It's a broader term. For those of you who, who you know who, uh, who don't know, it's a broader term. It's not just the friends and the supporters of the Prophet. It's any Muslim. That's the definition. Who was alive in the time of the Prophet and interacted with him personally in any way. Just once. You know? So that is the uh, that's what the companion is, you know, uh, what, what the companion means. So it's not like Suwad is one of his best friends. He's not. So like he could have punished him or he could have rebuked him and he could have said something like, get out of here. What are you talking about? I didn't even mean anything. But look at the Prophet He gave him the stick right away. By the way, this did not take a second, uh, you know, of the Prophet to think about. He gave him the stick and he lifted his shirt, his upper garment, basically. So basically the stomach was, you know, exposed to Suwad and he said, poke me back. You are right. Can you believe this? The prophet of Allah. Allah, This is not just a nation's leader. This is not just an army leader. This is a messenger who was sent by Allah. He has a direct communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no more honor. There is no more honor in this existence for a human being than to be a prophet and a messenger, and one of he is the most beloved prophet uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet, he lifts his shirt, his garment, his upper garment, and he says, poke me back. You are right. I was sent with justice, and what, what, I, what I did to you was not justice. So poke me back. So Suwad throws the stick on the floor, and he hugs the stomach of, he hugs the Prophet and he kisses his stomach. So it turns out <laughs> this was all a plot by Suad so he can hug the Prophet. He wanted to hug him. He wanted that chance. He was like, you know, playing a game basically to, you know, get. He knows that the Prophet is 100%, is, is unbelievably, you know, a uh, uh, just uh, uh, leader. And he knows that the Prophet was most likely going to do that. So he went and he hugged him and he kissed his stomach. And then the Prophet was actually weirded out. He's like, what are you doing? What's happening here? What's going on? You know, like, what is this? The Prophet literally asked, what's happening? And then Suwad said, oh, Prophet of Allah, we're about to die. We're about to go into a battle that God knows what, 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 like, Allah promised victory, but, you know, we might all die. And I want the last thing that I would do before, you know, meeting my uh, end 
in that battle, if if I die in this battle, I want it to be hugging you and kissing your stomach. So it was all a plot. That, so that the last thing that Suwad would do is to be hugging the Prophet ﷺ. They all laughed, you know, and it was such a, a beautiful and and it shows you, wallahi, it shows you the character of the Prophet ﷺ and it shows you the character of the companions. For those who, you know, uh, belittling the companions and they say certain things about them and they're humans, we're all humans. But look at the love and the faith. He did all this. He pretended that he was offended and was in pain and it was all a plot so he can hug and kiss the Prophet because he wanted, you know, to do that before he, uh, you know, quote unquote, die because he did not. So I did not die in this battle, but, you know, he thought he would uh, die. Now, another thing that uh, 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 is worthy of mentioning is that the Muslims did not have any archers. There was no bows and arrows. There was no spears, no armors, no horses. Remember, they went thinking that they were just going to surround 40 people and take that caravan uh, that had their money in it and just leave. But what they didn't know is that they're going to meet an army of a thousand people, a thousand warriors, not even just normal people, not civilians, they're warriors, right? So they were not prepared. So our Prophet ﷺ, you know, uh, was trying to like, you know, inject uh, 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 faith in them and tell them Allah is going to make us victorious Allah promised us victory just you know rely on Allah and do your best now our Prophet also it's worthy to mention that he gave a list he gave the Muslims a list of people not to kill from them is Al-Abbas Al-Abbas we mentioned him also last last episode he is the uncle of the Prophet he's not a Muslim yet he's going to become a Muslim but he was not a Muslim at the time and of course uh, uh, some people actually started, uh, uh, you know, like wondering why would he give a, now the list had a lot of people in it, but from them was Al-Abbas and, uh, Al-Abbas was the, the prophet's uncle. Right. And, uh, you know, some people with weak faith were like, Oh, is he saving his uncle and someone, someone, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, 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 you know, uh, was, uh, basically saying, no, I'm just going to kill him if I see him. He's talking about the uncle from the Muslims. And and, and we'll get back to that incident because that incident takes place a little bit after the battle starts. We'll talk about it in a, in, you know, in a second. But why? let's talk about why was that list given in the first place. Let's talk about the motivation of the Prophet ﷺ, his intentions, because it was you know clarified. And then let's talk about what happened with that situation. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed to our Prophet ﷺ that those people, the, the people in that list, were forced to fight. They did not want to fight the Muslims. And also, though, the same people on that list did not participate in persecuting the Muslims in Mecca. Also, the same people on that list did not steal the money from the Muslims. They did not steal their wealth. They were not happy with what, with what was going on with the Muslims, you know. But they couldn't stop it at the same time. They did not want to stop it. They couldn't stop it, right? But they were not happy. And Allah knows what's in the hearts. So that's why the Prophet ﷺ was given that list for people to not kill. Capture, if you can, don't kill. Now, the battle is about to start. And from the custom of the uh, you know of the Arabs and other cultures actually like you could see that in in stuff like you know Greek mythology and all these things like you know uh, like in Troy for example uh, those who watch whatever the movie or read the Odyssey that before the battle begins a duel takes place now in other cultures the duel could uh, actually uh, um, determine the results of the battle so if my man beats your man then we won and you surrender. Uh, but in this case, it was different. In this case, the duel takes place anyway, and the battle takes place anyway after the duel. So if there is a duel, and the the whole purpose, and, and this is what we're talking about from the Arabic, like the Arabs' perspective, if the whole purpose of the duel is to raise the morale of those who will win the duel, of the army of those. So for example, if the Muslims you know, nominate one person and then the people from Mecca nominate one person and then they both fight, let's say that the, the one from the Muslims wins, right? then the Muslims' morale is increasing. And also, at the same time, look at it this way. And if the person from Quraysh dies uh, and loses the, the duel, the people from Quraysh would want to avenge their soldier. So it just heats up the battle even more. That was from the customs of the Arabs. Uh, you know, like, like I said, unlike other cultures who use this as 
a, a way to determine or to shorten the battle. We don't need bloodshed one versus one and let this, uh, you know, let, 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 let us get it over with. But that's not the case there. The battle will take place no matter what, uh, you know, from the Arabs' perspective. Now, uh, you, you can have, and also in, in the custom of the duels, you can have one against one, two against two, three against three, four. It depends on the like the agreement, right? Like the the leader of the two armies, they agree, okay, we're going to send however, like how, how many, and the other army will match it with the same number of warriors. Also, in that duel, it is permitted. Let's say that you have uh, two against two. It, it is permitted that um, if, let's say, for example, uh, two from the Muslims are fighting two from Mecca, if, let's say, the two from the Muslims, one beat, one one from the Muslims beat one from the Quraysh, from Mecca. And then the other one is still fighting the other one, right? It's two versus two. This one who won, the Muslim who won against the one from Mecca, is allowed to go and help his other uh, Muslim warrior in his duel as well. This was permitted, completely permitted. It's not cheating, right? If one wins first and fast, they are allowed to go and help their uh, partners, so these were the rules of the duel. Uh, so let's you know talk about what happened during the duel. Now let me give you a little bit of a disclaimer before we start talking about the actual uh, actions. And, and and I'm gonna again we're, we're describing some physical movements and uh, you know it's like me telling you the story of the Lord of the Rings or you know Troy or so you guys I'm gonna need your imagination to imagine how the battle took place because again I'm describing a battle. Also a disclaimer is that. Um, we're talking about a battle, a war going on, right? So there might be certain incidents where it will be a little bit graphic, just a tiny bit. I'm not going to get into detail like somebody's chopping somebody, someone's arm. I'm going to have to say that. And and I'm only going to say that if it's related to, if it's significant to the story, like if it tells you how someone met their demise or whatever, right? Um, but I'm not going to like keep talking about this because, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that, you know... Uh, pleasant to talk about but it's it's again it's a battle so it might get a little graphic in terms of like you know me uh telling you certain things and i think it will happen like twice or three times when i mention something like this i don't think it's going to be more than that but just for those of you who feel weird about hearing someone's again arm got chopped off or whatever uh i mean for me i've, I've watched enough movies for to develop like some sort of you know immunity i don't get uh, you know, uh, uh, weirded out by like uh, gory scenes or whatever. Again, it's because I watch like war movies and whatever. But like some people can't handle it. So this is a disclaimer. It's again, I'm not describing any detail. I'm just going to say this happened. That's it. Right. So just a little bit of a disclaimer. We're talking about a battle here. So I might get a little graphic. So now three of the elite of the Quraysh. So now you, you can tell it's going to be a duel three versus three. The three from Quraysh came for, they are the elite, like they're big names in Quraysh. So they came forward and stood in the middle ground between the two armies. And they started shouting, who will come forth and fight us? They're talking to the Muslims now. Who will come forth and fight us? So right away, three of the Ansar, of the supporters, people from Medina, right, stood up. Someone called Auf ibn Afra. And Mu'adh ibn Afra and Abdullah ibn Rawaha. These three names. They stood up and they said, we're going to fight. And by the way, these, these three people, they were between 16 and 17 years old. And that shows you what a 16-year-old was back in the day. And what a 16, unfortunately, what a 16-year-old uh, nowadays, uh, their mentality and their, you know, uh, sense of responsibility, it's definitely different times. Um, so they shouted and they said, we're going to fight you. So the people from Quraysh, the three warriors from Quraysh, they shouted, who are you? We don't know you because they can't see them. That's that's why. It's not like they couldn't recognize. I mean, they wouldn't recognize them even if they saw them because they're from, you know, Medina. But uh, they couldn't see them, so they asked, hey, identify yourself, basically. Tell us who you are. So they mentioned their names. Then the warrior from Christ, the leader, basically the one in the middle from Christ, said, you are from Medina. You're from, we, don't have, we didn't come here to fight you. We have no issues with you. Like he's literally be saying, why are you even involved in this, right? We, don't, we didn't come here to fight you. We came to fight our own people. 
you know, the Muslims from our own people. Then he called, Oh, Muhammad, the, the, the same guy from Quraysh, send us people who are worthy. Send us warriors from Quraysh. Basically, he is also belittling the people from. So he's telling the people from Medina, the three Ansar, we have no problems with you, you know. But at the same time, he's belittling them. He said, "Some we need someone who's worthy. Someone from Quraysh. Because again, tribalism kicks in now, right? So the Prophet understood that, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. And the people from Ansar, even though they volunteer, but it shouldn't be that way. It should be people from Quraysh. So the Prophet right away assigned three from Quraysh. Hamza. We talked about Hamza. We had like almost, you know, a whole episode about the conversion of Hamza. The uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, he was known to be fearless. He, uh, it was the same episode of him and Umar ibn al-Khattab. Remember, they both converted basically uh, close to each other. And that was, you know, the episode we talked about that before. Uh, so Hamza ibn, ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, and Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, you know, he is actually related to the Prophet ﷺ. He is, his, I think he the Prophet's, uh, our Prophet ﷺ's father is... Uh, his second cousin So he was related to the father of the Prophet And then Ali ibn Abi Talib The cousin of the Prophet So they were all family members And when they stood up They were asked by again by the same warrior from Quraysh Who are you? Because again they can't see them So they responded and they said I'm Hamza, I'm Ali, I'm Ubaidah So then the guy from Quraysh said Noble adversaries He literally that was his response Okay you are some noble adversaries come and let us fight it shows you tribalism tribalism just because the fact that they are from Quraysh they were like treated in more respect than the people from the Ansar and Islam came to destroy this type of you know uh, uh, of of, of uh, favoritism and this type of like you know uh, of dealing with people so right away Hamza and Ali attacked as soon as the duel started like there was no, you know, sometimes when the duel starts, you know, you see some preparation. They're, you know, like uh, taking like a defensive position. They're trying to approach each other, uh, each other like in, in a very cautious way. Hamza and Ali just went <laughs> right away. The duel started, they attacked, and they literally, we don't have many detail. Again, these are battles. Not everyone is going to describe the detail of the actual fight. Some Some details were revealed. Some details were not, you know, nobody wrote them down or nobody, you know, uh, 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 recorded them But they right away attacked their opponents And they actually killed their opponents Very quickly Without even a single cut in them They did not get injured in any way Right uh, The opponent of Ubaidah was actually more uh, Experienced uh, And he managed To cut off Ubaidah's leg Literally He cut off Ubaidah's leg So Ubaidah fell down and his opponent was about to strike him. He was about to kill him. But then Hamza and Ali, remember we said they're now allowed to help Ubaidah. And this was totally permitted. Hamza and Ali came to the rescue. Again, it was totally permitted. And they right away killed Ubaidah's opponent. Now, Ubaidah didn't die at the moment. He was taken back to the camp, to the Muslim camp. But he technically died a few days after because of his uh, wounds in the battle. And that made him uh, die as a martyr because he died because of the battle of Badr. Um, and yeah, he died a few days after from his, you know, the severity of his wounds. Now, this, of course, had a positive effect on the Muslims and a negative effect on the people from Quraysh. Now, the battle is about now the true battle is about to start now. We ha you have one side, which is the Muslims are very optimistic Oh my God, subhanAllah, oh Allah had, you know, again, because of that duel. That was the whole purpose of the duel. And yeah, people are angry. They're not like, oh, we're going to lose. No, they're, they're more angry, right? And our uh, Prophet ﷺ at that moment, before the battle started, raised his arms all the way up to make dua to Allah, to make supplication. And we talked about this, I don't know, if, like two, actually two, I think two episodes ago, about the etiquettes of, you know, dua, making dua. And it, we say that the urgency and the distress, you know, that was caused uh, to the Prophet ﷺ from the situation caused them to make dua in such a manner. So the Prophet ﷺ, we said that usually you make dua, you put your hands, palms facing up, and you look down. But because it was an urgent and a very distressful situation, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, and we're all allowed to do that too in very, very distressful situation, raise our hands up, 
right? Palms facing each other and facing up in a little bit and making dua to Allah. And the Prophet ﷺ, it was recorded that he was so oblivious to anything around him because he was so into his dua, so focused that his, again, upper shirt flew off his body because of the wind. It was crazy windy, you know? So the upper, his upper shirt, his upper garment uh, flew off his body uh, uh, and he didn't even feel it. He didn't stop. He didn't, you know, look around. He kept making dua, screaming, Oh Allah, help us. Oh Allah, give us victory. Oh Allah, you know? And then... Abu Bakr, his, his best friend, picked up the shirt and put it back on the Prophet ﷺ. He put it back and he hugged him from behind and he said, Enough, Ya Rasulullah. Enough, O Prophet of Allah. Allah will give you what he promised. Enough. Don't worry. Allah will give you what he promised. Now, this situation is incredible, my dear brothers and sisters, for many reasons. Number one, it shows you that the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr are showing us two different emotions that should both of them both the both of those emotions should be within the believer which is fear and hope we had a whole episode about fear and hope it's been on one you know was it's one of the early episodes and this right here shows us you know that that we need to have both the brother is fearing the consequences of this battle. He does not want to lose because he wants Allah. He's, he's fearing that Allah wouldn't be worshipped. If all the Muslims were killed in this battle, and he says this to Allah while he's making the dua, Oh Allah, if this group, talking about the Muslims, if we are destroyed, if we die, you won't be worshipped on earth again. You know? Like he's talking to Allah, begging Allah for help. And that shows you fear, but not fear for himself. He doesn't care about himself. He doesn't care about dying. He's afraid that Islam will lose. He's afraid that the message won't be spread. And Abu Bakr is showing us there is hope. Oh, Prophet of Allah, don't worry. Allah promised help. He will bring us help. And it shows that these two emotions should be combined in every single believer. Fear Allah and have hope in him. It's that simple. Fear him the right way and have hope in him. Now, right after the Prophet lowered his hands, our Prophet ﷺ went into, we talked about this before, the state of revelation. That means Jibreel came to him and he gets very sweaty. He's He zones out. He's like, not. he doesn't exist. His mind goes somewhere else. He doesn't exist in this world. And, you know, he gets very sweaty and he gets very, you know, like he went, he goes into this trance, right? And then basically Jibreel, like you said, we, we like we said, Jibreel came to him. And after the revelation was over, Jibreel was still there, by the way, but just the revelation, that, that state of revelation was over, right? Nobody could see him except the Prophet of course. Uh, our Prophet Wasallam's face lit up. He came back to the real world and then he looked extremely happy and joyful. Then he, he told uh, uh, Abu Bakr, Rejoice, Abu Bakr, for indeed the help of Allah has already come. Then he points at Jibreel. Now Abu Bakr can't see Jibreel. And he said, This is Jibreel. And he has geared up for battle. And he's holding on to the straps of his horse. Now, wait a second. Jibreel is riding a horse? What? Yes, he was. Well, the Prophet stated it. But obviously, the horse was not from this world. It was some sort of angelic horse. It's not our horse, right? It's not a horse from this life. And now, it shows you that even the angels need to put on the effort to win the battle. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had clearly sent Jibreel uh, and some and more angels, we'll talk about their numbers and everything, uh, to help the Muslims on that battle. But Jibreel could have easily just, you know, waved his wing and he could have just literally destroyed the whole Quraysh army, right? He did that to people of Lot. Remember the people with who uh, were homosexuals uh, under the prophet uh, Prophet Lot, Prophet Lut. And uh, what did Jibril do? He smacked with tip with. Now he has six hundred wings. We know that Jibril has six hundred wings. One tip of his, one of his wings, he literally hit the ground with one tip of one of his wings. And that 
hit that sh- that shook the earth and it made that hit was so strong that it lifted all that city up to the heavens and then it flipped him upside down and they went back on earth and they were completely flat they destroyed it was flattened whoever was in that city was flattened now the believers left the city and everybody there was a disbeliever and they were dis- disobeying the direct you know commands of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that story is very and it's actually very biblical too um so Jibreel could have won the battle without riding a horse, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you that even the angels, when required, they need to put on the effort. Now, also Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent a thousand angels to match the number of the people of Quraysh. You know? And Allah mentioned this in the chapter of Anfal, uh, verse number 9. إِذْ تَسْتَغِيثُونَ رَبَّكُمْ فَاسْتَجَابَ لَكُمْ إِنِّي مُمُدُّكُمْ بِأَلْفٍ مِّنَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ مُرْضَفِينَ Allah saying, I'm going to give you mumuddukum. I'm going to give you support. A thousand angels. Now we said one angel could have taken care of the whole army. But Allah is showing us that Muslims, they must do the work. By the way, the angels did not come to fight instead of the Muslims. They came to help them. And you'll see how exactly we'll talk about during the battle how did you know would they help the Muslims and not fight for them? Like the angels are not coming to fight instead of the Muslims, they are helping the Muslims. Right? And that's why Allah could have again ended the battle in two seconds. Anybody could think that. Like, why would you know why did it have to be a battle in the first place? Allah could have, but that goes on everything, like right now. Right now. We are like around eight billion people on the planet, right? 1.8 are Muslims. That means at least you have 6 billion uh, non-Muslims. Dis- disbelievers, technically. right? People who do not believe in Allah and His Messenger. They're called disbelievers, right? Allah could have snapped, and you know that this is the worst thing that you could do to be a disbeliever and commit shirk and all these things. So Allah could have snapped His fingers and they would have disappeared. Done. But Allah doesn't do that. that that's not how Allah works. Allah gives you the chance. And until the day you die, you're giving your full fair chance. Until the day you die. So you don't come and say, Oh Allah, you snap your fingers too early. I was going to be a believer. No, Allah gives you your time. And when you die, that's it. It's game over. Also, Allah wants the Muslims to do the work of preaching Islam in a very peaceful and a very you know uh, knowledgeable way. Allah's not going to do... again. We're preaching and we're telling people about Islam, right? We're preaching the truth about Islam and we're telling people about Islam. And Allah also gives help. Allah doesn't magically convert people. Allah doesn't do that because it has to be your choice. Same thing in that battle. Allah is not going to snap his fingers so the people, the pagans will disappear. No, the work has to be done. It has to be very very uh, according to the laws and the regulations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We mentioned this numerous times. Now, um, that some of the people who, uh, you know, early on from the army of Mecca did not want to participate in the battle. They didn't want to, right? They did not want to participate in the battle. But then someone, and we met this, this guy, you know, uh, and, and the reason why they didn't, not, now, they, it's not like they didn't want to kill the Muslims. These are different. The people who were on the list of the, on the, list of the Prophet Sallallahu are different from what I'm about, th- those people that I'm about to talk about. Those people that I'm about to talk about, they didn't want to participate because they were afraid that there was an, uh, some sort of like um, uh, a, a tribe that they have like animosity was with called the, uh, the tribe of Kinana. And they were afraid that if they go to war with the Muslims, they will be distracted and this tribe will attack them. That was their reasoning. They didn't care about killing the Muslims or not. And while they were, you know, arguing with one another, like, oh, the tribe of Kinana will come, they will fight us. So then Suraqa ibn Malik, remember Suraqa, the one who chased Abu Bakr and the Prophet ﷺ were on their way, immigrating from Mecca to Medina, and then his horse kept, you know, uh, making make him fall down and then he get back on his horse and then his horse wouldn't want to you know move and then he eventually you know uh, 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 realized that this is a prophet from Allah and then you know he got the bracelets of the king of the Persia Kisra right we we had his full story in one of the previous episodes I think it was the episode of the immigration uh, 
So this Suraqa comes to them. And he tells them, he is, by the way, Suraqa is from the, that tribe that they're worried about, the tribe of Kinana. And he tells them basically, don't worry, Kinana won't attack you. Go forth, and I'm going to be with you. Take me as a prisoner. Right? I just want to make sure you guys win this battle. Take me as a prisoner, and the tribe of Kinana will never attack you. And I will be the proof because I'm the leader of, you know, of that tribe. Now, some might ask, what's going on here? Didn't he just recognize before that the Prophet was a prophet and he showed him respect? And he even asked the Prophet to, you know, give him protection? What changed? Well, that was actually not Suraqa ibn Malik. That was Satan himself taking the form of Suraqa ibn Malik. Suraqa ibn Malik did not intend to fight the Prophet in any way, shape, or form after that incident. But Satan took the form of, because Suraqa was the leader of the tribe, so Satan wanted to take the form of the leader of the tribe to, to give the people of Quraysh, the people of Mecca, some comfort and to give them a boost to be able to fight the Muslims. And again, we mentioned this before, when Satan gets involved personally, when he, you know, takes the form of a man and goes to and goes and talks to people, that means he is frustrated. That's a sign of frustration and desperation. He is worried if this battle is won by the Muslims, what am I going to do? The Muslims will increase and it will, they will flourish. So he was willing to do whatever it takes. He takes the form of Suraqa. Now we know Suraqa is innocent of all this because it's not Suraqa. And he goes and talks to the people. And they actually believe him. Of course they do. And then, you know, he accompanies them. Satan accompanies them in the, in the form of Suraqa until they reach the battlefield. And when the two armies met, right, Shaitan, Satan, was able to see the angels on their horses. So right away, he freaks out and he flees. Now, <laughs> the people of Quraysh are like, what just happened? What did this guy see? So he, one of actually the, the people of Mecca, one of the army of Mecca, he actually runs after him. He's like, hey, Suraka, where are you going? Right? And they try to. this guy tries to stop him, but then, you know, Satan pushes him so strongly. Again, he's, Satan is, has supernatural strength. Let's, let's, you know, he's not from this world. He's not a human being, right? And the, literally, he pushes him so strongly that the man flies off of his horse. He flies away. You know, not in a crazy, you know, not like, you know, miles away, but he flies a very decent distance, right? And he falls on his back. And then Satan tells him, while he's freaking out, I can see what you cannot see. He's talking about the angels here. And then he says, And I'm afraid of my Lord. Isn't that crazy? He tries to mislead, until this day, mislead Muslims and try to drag him into hellfire. But he himself admits that he is afraid of Allah. You know? This is in the Quran. Like, nobody's going to beat you. He comes to them and he tells them, No, no, you are going to be victorious. I see what you cannot see. He's telling them. I'm afraid of my Lord. I'm afraid of Allah. And Allah is has severe punishment for those who disobey him. This is Satan telling this to, normal, to pagans. Isn't that crazy? Subhanallah. So now you have, interestingly, and look at this image. Look at how epic this battle is. You have... Uh, 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 uh. On one side, you have Satan. Now, Satan fleed, but like, let's talk about before he flee, right? He flees. Um, Satan on one side, Abu Jahl on the same side. Abu Jahl is the Pharaoh of, you know, against the Muslims. He's the worst human being after the actual Pharaoh of Moses. Abu Jahl. You have the elite of Christ who persecuted, killed, you know, many Muslims. You have, you know, the army of 
Quraysh, right, on one hand. And on the other hand, on the other side, who do you have? You have the Prophet ﷺ himself, Jibreel himself, Angel Gabriel himself, leading an army of the angels, a thousand angels. So you have Jibreel leading an army of the angels and you have Prophet Muhammad ﷺ leading an army of the Muslims. Literally, Lord of the Rings is nothing compared to this. Seriously. And wallahi, I'm not being facetious at all. This is incredible. Like, at least this is real. Like, Lord of the Rings, of course, it's it's all bogus and, and fantasy. But this is, look at the epic battle here. Look at the epicness of this this whole, I don't know if even the epicness is, is actually a word. Like, it's it's incredible. You know? You have Satan and the worst of mankind at the time. And you have Jibreel, Gabriel, Angel Gabriel, with the best of mankind about to go to war with one another. You know? Incredible. Wallahi, it's incredible. Like, forget about all the fantasy and the epic wars and all this stuff that you see. This is real. This happened. This is a supernatural war and a real war at the same time. This is, and that's, by the way, this day, the day of Badr is called the day of the Furqan, the day of separation, the day of the criterion. Now, the, the day of separation, because it, what happened is splits or separates between right and wrong, between good and evil. The result of this battle, and this is what Allah wanted, remember what Allah intended. He said that the result of this battle will show people who is right, who is upon the truth, and who is upon falsehood. You know? Incredible view. Incredible scene. You have all evil on one side and all good on one side. Now, I thought I was being delusional i thought actually i was going to finish this whole thing in one one episode but we're like really you know it's been almost like i think we're heading towards close to very close to an hour and we finished only half like the battle the actual battle we started already but like the physical fights and all these things uh didn't start yet so we'll uh we'll inshallah continue uh this battle uh next next episode um um because there's a lot to you know unpack like a, a lot to a lot is, is, is going to happen a lot of people will meet their end and a lot of people you know will have a new beginning let's say so inshallah we'll talk about we'll finish and we'll finalize the the battle of badr uh, next time inshallah thank you so much for listening wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh